Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson. Papa, can you tell me a story? Do you really want me to tell you a story? (laughs) Well, you go get your brother and your sisters and I will tell you a story. Welcome to Devotions with Dr. Papa. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson, teaching from the written word, which reveals to us the living word, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to bring to your mind today a statement that Jesus made to Pilate. If you remember, at one point in time, Jesus looked at Pilate and said to him, My kingdom is not of this world. What in the world did he mean by that? Well, you have to understand that when Jesus came, the Bible says that he came preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, as time goes on, it became apparent that he was indicating that a spiritual kingdom was being inaugurated, not the kind of physical kingdom that the Jews were expecting, not a militaristic kingdom like they were anticipating, but a spiritual kingdom. It's not a kingdom of this world. As Pilate headed up, Pilate headed up a a militaristic kingdom headed by the Roman Empire. And Jesus' kingdom was not a kingdom of this world headed by the God of this world. Jesus indicated that Satan was the God of this world, the ruler of this world. And the kingdom of this world, we have to understand, is an ordered system. It's a hierarchical system headed by Satan that intentionally leaves God out. And it operates by principles that are opposed to the principles of the kingdom of God. Now, I say that it's an ordered system, a hierarchical system, because Satan is at the head of the kingdom of this world, and he has his archdemons, just like God has archangels. The two archangels that we know about, Michael and Gabriel, and if you remember in the Old Testament, there's a story where God gives Daniel a vision. The vision is very troubling to Daniel, and he doesn't understand the vision, and he begins to fast and pray for 21 days. At the end of the 21 days, Michael, the archangel, comes to him and gives him the interpretation of the vision, but tells him that he was opposed by the prince of Persia during that 21 days, and it's only because Daniel persisted in praying and fasting for 21 days, that he was able to overcome this other archangel, the prince of Persia, that he was able to overcome the titanic spiritual struggle that took place in the heavenly places, so that he could come and give to Daniel the interpretation of the vision that is recorded in Daniel, that reveals to us future events that are yet to come. 
Now, there's a lot of things there that are very instructive for us. First, it reveals that there are archdemons, like there are archangels, and that their spiritual power is sufficient to oppose archangels like Gabriel and Michael. It helps us to understand that the vast Babylonian empire of that time that stretched all the way from Babylon west to Greece and to Egypt, from the Nile River all the way to the Euphrates River and eastward, that the kings of Babylon were empowered by archdemons that enabled them to accomplish their nefarious exploits. And that these archdemons has sufficient spiritual power to oppose archangels like Michael. And that only by the fasting and praying of a saint like Daniel was the archangel Michael able to overcome a powerful demon, a powerful archdemon like the prince of Persia. Furthermore, we understand that the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Satan, intentionally leaves God out. The kingdom of this world and all of its systems hates God. What are the systems of this world? (laughs) Every system except for the church of the living God is a system of this world. The academic systems, the governing systems, the legal systems, the medical systems. It doesn't matter what system you talk about. They're all the systems of this world. And unless God-fearing, right-thinking people are in charge of those systems, then they are headed by Satan. And that's why every system of this world intentionally opposes the kingdom of God. And that's why the systems of this world operate by principles that are opposed to the kingdom of God. And even though there may be good, God-fearing, right-thinking people involved, ultimately those those systems will do things that subvert and oppose the kingdom of God. Why? Because those systems operate by principles that oppose the kingdom of God. So let's just talk about three today, three principles that are characteristic of the kingdom of God. For example, just basic salvation. The kingdom of God tells us that salvation is a gift from God, that righteousness is imputed. You and I acquire the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ as a gift from God. When we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we receive imputed righteousness. We receive the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. More than that, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the Bible tells us that for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And yet, in the kingdom of this world, righteousness is a works type of righteousness. In other words, you have to work for it. You have to pull yourself up by your own 
bootstraps. The popular statement is that God helps those who help themselves. Now, how do you determine what type of system when it comes to salvation that someone operates by? Well, you just ask them the diagnostic question. And honestly, I ask my patients this question all the time because even church-going patients of mine often get this the answer to this question wrong, and I begin to realize that they are operating by this, the principles of the kingdom of this world rather than by the principles of the kingdom of God, and they are deceived. And the question is this. If you were to die tonight and stood before God at the gates of heaven, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And I promise you, dear listener, that the vast majority of my patients, even if they are church-going people, will answer this question with a works type of righteousness, kingdom of this world kind of answer. And patients will say to me, well, Dr. Jackson, I've been a pretty good person all my life. I don't lie or cheat or steal. I don't abuse my wife or kids. I pay my taxes on time. I don't smoke or drink or chew or affiliate with those who do. And you see, what that person is saying to me is that they are relying on their own righteousness. The things that they do that are good and the things that they don't do that are bad to help them pass the test when they stand before God. The problem with that is that they've not told me anything that would erase any of their sins. You see, we sing the hymn in church, What Can Wash Away My Sins? And the answer to that is nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I promise you, when you stand before God at the gate of heaven and he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? There's only one answer. And the correct answer, the kingdom of God answer, is I plead the blood. I have no merit of my own. If I get what I deserved, I would bust hell wide open. But at such and such a date, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. And he washed me in the blood, and he gave me his righteousness as a gift. You see, that's a kingdom of God answer. It doesn't rely on any goodness of my own, any merit or effort of my own. That's a kingdom of God answer. That relies on imputed righteousness given to you and me as a gift. Now, what about rank in the kingdom of God? Well, look at Matthew chapter 18 and verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You see, even they were concerned about rank in the kingdom of God. And he called a child to himself and set him before them. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck than to be drowned in the depth of the sea. For you see, in the kingdom of God, humility is one of the greatest values of all. And you see, in this world, the kingdom of this world, pride and arrogance and ambition are the values that are are most prized, not humility. Humility is despised in this world. But yet in the kingdom of God, humility is the value that's most prized. And Jesus was such a humble and meek individual. And Jesus told the story of the Pharisee and the publican, the tax collector, And he talked about these two men coming into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed thus within himself. And he thanked God that he was not like other men. And especially, and he looked at this tax collector, he said, especially like this despised and rejected tax collector. And then the tax collector, the publican, the sinner, the one who didn't abide by all the rules and regulations. He came in and the Bible says he wouldn't even lift his eyes up to look to heaven, but he smote his breast. He, he hit his fist upon his breast and he said, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, condemned and unclean. And Jesus said to the crowd, Who do you think of these two will go home justified? And he said, I tell you that this publican. He will go home to his house justified. He said, whoever exalts himself will be abased, rejected, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And he says, this publican will go home justified. And you see, the kingdoms, the values of the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God are opposite. The values of the kingdom of God are upside down compared to the values of the kingdom of this world. And the question is, what kind of values do you and I operate by? Is humility a prized value in your heart, in my heart? And you see, the Bible says that Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. And yet next to Jesus, Moses is probably the most recognized man in the whole Bible. He was not proud. He was not arrogant or ambitious. But the Bible says he was the most humble man that ever lived. And here's the question. Where are the Christian people who have humility of heart and tremble at God's word That was what Isaiah asked in the very last chapter of Isaiah. He he questioned who and where are those who fear God and have humility in the presence of God and tremble at God's Word. You see, rank in the kingdom of God is determined by humility of heart. Rank in the kingdom of this world is determined by pride and arrogance 
and ambition. Well, what about greatness in the kingdom of God? Well, in Matthew chapter 20, in verses uh, 20 through 28, one of the disciples' mothers came to, the, to Jesus. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, that is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh my goodness, what an amazing verse of Scripture. But of course, Jesus exemplified that servant's heart throughout the entirety of his ministry. You see, greatness in the kingdom of God is measured by serving. Now, I understand that's a bitter pill to swallow for the proud and arrogant among us. There's a popular ministry in our community that has as their logo an adult kneeling and tying the shoes of a child. I absolutely love that logo. And the image of an adult kneeling down and tying the shoes of a child inspires me. Because you see, that's exactly what Jesus would do. That's exactly what Jesus would have you and me to do. Parents serve their children, don't they? We button the, their shirts, we tie their shoes, we help them to bathe, we put ribbons in their hair. But spouses should also serve one another. And Christians serve one another. Just as importantly, Christians serve their community. It's our responsibility to serve those who are poor, or orphans, or widowed, or just out of prison. There are lots of folks in the community who need serving. And the church, the Christians in the church, should concern themselves with serving people in the community who have desperate needs. And to do so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as representatives of the kingdom of God. And we don't serve for recognition we serve for imitation, imitation of Jesus Christ. For you see, we operate by the principles of the kingdom of God. And one of the principles is that we serve others. Because Jesus didn't come 
to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the the metaphor there is strong because for you and I to serve other people, we often have to stick a spiritual dagger in our hearts. And we have to die to ourselves, our selfishness, our pride, our arrogance, our time commitments. It takes a lot of dying to serve our children, our spouse, our Christian brothers and sisters, and people in our community. We have to die to our financial interests, our time interest, our hobbies. We have to die to a lot of things in order to serve other folks. But then Jesus had to die to a lot of things. He actually died physically on the cross in order to serve you and me and purchase our redemption. We don't serve for recognition. We serve for imitation, to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk a lot about the upside-down opposite principles of the kingdom of God, opposite of the kingdom of this world, so that you and I can begin to understand how vital it is for us to operate by the principles of the kingdom of God. You're listening to Devotions with Dr. Papa. If you like what you hear, I appreciate it if you would like it or follow or share. Tell your friends about Devotions with Dr. Papa. May the Lord bless you real good. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.